last time we heard that all believers are supposed to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which they have been called. Part of that walk meant being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Which is where we found our appeal, and our appeal was on unity. Today our focus continues on this theme of unity. As unity is extremely important in the body of Christ. However, today we move away from some of the things that fight against unity. And we move towards a few reasons why we should be unified within the body of Christ. These reasons center on the fact that there is oneness within the body. And again, the oneness is in terms of the cohesiveness that is found among believers which transcends the divisive language and traditions that we put in place which somehow keep us apart. However, Scripture is clear on the aspects of our faith which should not be compromised for any reason at all. But the artificial walls that are erected in the name of God, they need to come down. And they need to be replaced with what is accurately commanded and written in God's Word. Again, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And we're going to read this right out the gate. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So beginning in verse 4, Paul says that there is one body. There is only one body in the body of Christ. There is not multiple bodies. This may be a news flash for some, but it is common revealed knowledge because we have understood and we have read within Scripture that over and over again it talks about the body of Christ and not one of many bodies of Christ, but about the body of Christ. Now, for some people, this concept is very difficult to grasp. Because there is thinking that if you identify yourself with the body of Christ, or if you identify yourself with the church, somehow you lose your cultural identity. And this is especially disconcerting for Jews and even people of Arabic descent. 
as they have cemented their nationality within their religiousosity. You see, once you have intertwined these two aspects together, your nationality plus your religion, it's very difficult to untangle them, which is why even today within our nation, people have entangled their political party with them being a Christian. People will say that uh, if you don't vote Republican, then you are not a Christian. Some people may even believe that if you don't vote Democrat, you are not a Christian. And to them I say hogwash. Uh, because as we know what, what Scripture says, that Jesus Christ cannot be mixed with anything. Uh, if uh, we cannot separate Jesus out of all the other mess, then we know that we have a spiritual problem on our hand. So if you mix together your nationality with your uh, Christianity or your political party with your belief in Christ, uh, it becomes impossible to untie them. And this, of course, this is a trick of the adversary. That adversary who hopes uh, to keep as many people as possible uh, locked up in bondage. So when truth is revealed, however, uh, truth is revealed to shed light on the misconception of cultural, cultural integration and when that happens, uh, there is either resistance or there is acceptance of God's word. But for some, there is tremendous rejection of anything that attempts to pry loose their traditions that have been handed down to them for generation after generation after generation. Uh, some people, they are afraid that they will lose their identity. I've even heard uh, some folks who are uh, African-American uh, that says that, you know, that Christianity, it is the religion of the white man. So therefore, if you grab hold to the religion of the white man, you in essence, this is what they're implying, you in essence are not really African-American. But it is a problem when you hold on to your cultural identity so tightly that you reject Christ. But if we take a look into heaven, one of the things that we know that we will see many people worshiping God, we will see many cultures coming to the Lord to give Him the praise that He deserves. Look at Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation! belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's Word, and we can trust it. 
tells us that there will be all types of people in heaven worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb. By mentioning nation, you would think that the identities are stripped in favor of national pride. For instance, when you think of American, uh, we know that uh, if you are American, that there is uh, American this, Italian American, there is German American, there is Japanese American, there is African American, and so or Nigerian American, and so on and so forth, right? Uh, we know that there is as many people, so when you think of nation, however, Americans, you would think it would be stripped of all of its individual diversity. According to this passage in Revelation, that's simply not the case. But then Scripture we see here in Revelation, it breaks it down by saying that these people, that there is many tribes, many peoples, and many languages. How is it possible that you have multiple languages worshiping God at the same time in heaven? How is that possible? I believe that some way, somehow, uh, when I reflect, uh, I think it's back all the way in Genesis chapter 11. I can't remember the, uh, the chapter right now. But when they began to build uh, the Tower of Babel, and they became one because they wanted to make a name uh, for themselves, uh, that God, he confused them, and he uh, uh, spread out many languages amongst all the people so they would not understand one another. But I believe that this picture in heaven amongst all these folks of all these languages, I think we all will be able to translate. I believe that we will understand that God will uh, supernaturally give all of His people the ability, the supernatural ability, to understand someone from a different a part of the world. This is why uh, they're going to be able to be unified of one purpose, bringing worship to God. So who you are and where you came from, it will not be bleached when you go to heaven. Your personhood will not be sanitized of your heritage when you finally make it through those pearly gates. There will be no reason for jealousy and no reason to resent another uh, because everybody will be standing before the Lamb as one body. Isn't that great? No one will be standing before the Lamb talking about who do you think you are? That if you don't like singing on earth, we want you to know that uh, uh, you are going to spend an eternity worshiping God and singing. Amen? But I know you're saying, but, but how am I going to be able to sing for eternity and worshiping God? Because God would have changed you. That God would have changed us that allow us to worship Him without getting tired. Amen? That we will begin to worship God and not wonder what I'm going to have for dinner today, right? Uh, you see, our food will be to worship the Lord. So brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with coming to church in your African garb. That's okay, because God loves diversity. There's nothing wrong with coming to church in the clothes which represent the nation of your forefathers, where they originated from. Whether it's Ireland, whether it's India, whether it's Nigeria, or China, or anywhere else in between, 
But it's very interesting. When we think of that passage there in Revelation, well, if that's the case, that we will see people of every nation and, and all tribes and peoples and languages. But look at what it says there. Even though that is true, everybody will have the same clothes on. Do, do you see that? Because when we think of how do we distinguish ourselves of uh, where we came from and our nationality, oftentimes we think because of what we wear. Well, today is going to be, uh, today is going to be uh, where your nation's clothes to church today, right? What nation did you come from, right? Some of us will probably come looking like a mess because we have colors from everywhere uh, because, of, uh, because of our heritage. Uh, but, but nevertheless, when you go to heaven, there's only going to be one outfit. So I want to tell you, young ladies, those of you who love to be unique, that if you don't have on that white robe, we want you to know you probably are not going to be in heaven. Amen? And I'm sure all of us are not going to care anyway, because I, even I would say, Lord, give me my white robe right now. I want it. I want to be identified with the rest. And all of us will have palm branches in our hands. Why? Because we will be doing what? Worshiping the Lamb. So what we saw on Palm Sunday is just a taste of what we will experience in heaven. Amen? Amen. So there would be no reason for us to be jealous of one another. And all of us will have on the school uniform of heaven. So you can be proud of the fact who you are because God, he made us all in his image and God made us all with great diversity. And again, this is what we saw in the book of Revelation. It is only when uh, that diversity contradicts the word of God or your tradition denigrates another human being does it become a major problem before the Lord and against unity. This is why uh, the next verses that are written here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, they were written in Scripture to deal with the hostility that existed through the building of a wall that came down in Christ. And we covered this last time, but I think this is uh, extremely important for us uh, to hear again. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You, you see what uh, the passage is telling us when there is division, when there is separation within the body of Christ, it is hostile to the body. So within the body of Christ, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile. There is one body. So not only is there one body, there's also one spirit as well. 
This is an important distinction as we must not believe that there are certain classes of spirits uh, designed and intended for certain classes of folks. Because the Holy Spirit empowers all believers, it must be understood that uh, He breaks the divisiveness of uh, the self-proclaimed my spirituality is better than yours mode of thinking. Your gifting or you being better than another, uh, that is not what's intended within the body of Christ as He empowers the body through His Spirit. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, he says all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So even though there is even diversity amongst the gifting within the body of Christ, it is the same Spirit that gives the giftings. Amen? The only reason some people want to make distinctions is uh, to make some assertions that uh, they have abilities that they can boast in in the first place. Oh, I got this and I can do this, so therefore I'm better than you. Uh, but God is saying that you may think that you're better than you, but don't you know that I can extract that at one moment? So never are we to lift up who we are or what we can do over another person. But it is the Spirit who moves you. It is the Spirit who has made you who you are. And so given the climate of today's race relations in our nation, we often wonder, at least I do, whether or not, how different would this nation be if there was a different majority? Right right now, we said that there is one over the other. Well, what would happen if, if that was completely flipped upside down? Will there, will there then be justice? Would th then, at that particular point, would everything be correct like it should be? Would we say that uh, African Americans or Hispanics, whoever you want or desire to be the majority, would you say that if they were the majority, then things would be right in this nation? I say no. I say absolutely not. Why is that? But you know, you know, some folks say, well, you know that, you know, African Americans, they're more compassionate. And, you know, they this, that, and the other. But one thing I know is, is that African Americans are also a part of the human race. And if African Americans are also part of the human race, that means that sin also runs through their veins just like they do Caucasians. The same is true for Hispanics. Sin runs through. So ultimately what will happen, there might be a day of celebration. And there might be a time in which we can say that everything is good and the balance the way that it should be. But ultimately there will come a time in which sin will again rear its ugly head. It will show us that the, the true solution to the racial issue within our nation and on our planet is not making everybody equal the way that it should be, right? Because there's a problem with that. Uh, the, the true solution is through the blood of Jesus. It starts there. It must 
start there. There is one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who indwells believers. And without that one Spirit indwelling everybody in this nation, there will always be a problem in this nation. So not only is there one Spirit, there is also one hope. Paul says here in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, just as you were called uh, to the one hope uh, that belongs to your call. And again, that hope is in the heart of all of us. And that is that expectation of what will come. We recall how uh, the expectation of hope is not one built around wishful thinking. We talked about that several weeks ago. It is not that which we desire will come to pass one day. Not in the language, maybe it will or maybe it won't. Not within that talk. There is one hope of our calling. And it's built solely on the person of Jesus Christ who will certainly again come one day. And it is not a matter of if, but it is a matter of when. So hope could be defined as uh, the eager expectation of the outworking of God's plan. The eager expectation of the outworking of God's plan. All Christians should have a unified view of hope. Believers across the age gap, across the income gap, across the gap of time understand and not only they have been saved in the here and the now, and for that we can say amen and thank you Jesus, but also that we await a moment in the future for which Christ Himself will appear. This is part of the calling for which you have been called. God has placed this in you. Where is your hope? There is one hope. That one hope is in Christ Jesus. And it is part of your spiritual DNA. And it has, if it has not been awakened within you, uh, call out to the Lord now and say, Awake within me that hope of the appearance of Christ. P.T. Barnum, you may remember his name from the fame a Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. This is the question that he asked as he laid on his deathbed. So, as he was dying, this is what he asked. What were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? He wanted to know, as he was dying, how much money was the circus bringing into the coffers as he lay on his deathbed? There seemed to be hope in that which cannot deliver. Those receipts cannot deliver. Money cannot deliver. If that's all the conversation that we have when we lay on our deathbed, uh, then brothers and sisters, I tell you, you need a better hope. Because if the hope that you have is that in which you will leave behind once you've gone, uh, that which you rely upon, that will remain here once you have crossed that impossible gulf to return, then your hope will disappoint you. Luke chapter 12, verse 20 and 21. 
Jesus said of the rich man in the parable, but God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The one hope which believers have is one that is focused on the one Lord. And, that the, and there is only one Lord. Ephesians 4, verse 5. As there is only one Spirit, there is only one Lord, and He is Jesus Christ. So why, uh, again, uh, even uh, for, for, for Paul to write the fact that there is one Lord. Why is this so important? Well, in one sense, uh, during this time, the word Lord, kurios, was used to identify a person as sir. I can't think of the feminine form right now, uh, but never, nevertheless, it's like saying uh, Mr. or Mrs. in one sense. But the sense in which Paul speaks of one Lord, it has to be, it must be, more weightier than that. In fact, in the New Testament era, the term Lord was used not only within the secular society, but also religious context as well. And it was very common, as you can imagine. And they used this term, Lord Kurios, to describe their gods and their goddesses who were their deities, who were the ones that they worshipped. Then the term spread and attached itself to the Roman emperors who thought themselves that they were so bad that they thought that they were God themselves. And this is how we end up with the whole idea of emperor worship. Uh, they said, well, if you're going to worship those gods, you need to worship me because I am a god as well. So for the one who would say uh, that there is not the God of Isis or the God of Osiris or whatever they may be, the small G-gods, for one to say that uh, there is uh, one Lord in uh, the Roman Emperor Nero as an example, if you were to say that Jesus is Lord, can you imagine what problems you can come across? See, calling Jesus Christ Lord over and against the emperor, it was disrespectful. And the issue is compounded when we consider that Jesus is not only simply Lord, but Jesus is also called Lord of Lords. It is not that Jesus has a contingency of smaller gods all over the place. Those who are waiting to take uh, 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 orders from him per se, uh, it is not that there is many others that possess his same power, but what uh, the passage said when it calls Jesus Lord of Lords, uh, what is being said is that, uh, that the, he is all-powerful above all. Jesus is the one who died for the church. Ephesians 4, verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, he says there. This is one of the oldest confessions of the church. 
What do you mean by the confession of the church? Uh, these are statements in which uh, the church from ancient uh, of days uh, would cry out from almost its very beginnings. Some say this is probably the oldest confession of the church. So one of the things that we ourselves should embrace as a church is the fact that we can say with one voice and with certainty that there is one Lord. And that one Lord is Jesus. So we can say there's one Lord and Jesus is Lord. There's one Lord and Jesus is Lord. There is one Lord and Jesus is Lord. It is a confessional cry from the church, from you and me, because it stands over and against all other truth claims. Jesus is Lord, and that there is only one Lord. It is true that there is deception all over the place getting you to bow down and to give your allegiance to another. But you, brothers and sisters, you resist the call. You resist the call of the false siren which tries to woo you with promises which sounds too good to be true. You see, but you know it is not your Lord. You hear, but you know it cannot deliver. It has hands, but it can do nothing. It tempts you, but it, it cannot. You cannot fall for their tricks. Truly, Jesus Christ is Lord. And together we can say, Jesus is Lord. There is one faith. And again, the walls of the attempt to divide us are again broken down because there is one faith and not multiple faith. There is not one faith for the Jews and one faith for the Gentiles. There is only one faith because there's only one way to get to heaven. Anybody, everybody of all time, every single generation, if you are going to make it into heaven, you have to go through Jesus, period. And we talked about this in Bible class. Anybody and everybody of every single generation that has ever existed on the planet Earth, which is everybody, that you cannot make it through the gates of heaven without going through Jesus Christ. So there is only one faith. If you believe, you will be saved. It is that faith alone in Christ alone which unites Christians everywhere. This is staggering because we must know that we are united in faith through Jesus Christ and that there are plenty of reasons for us to celebrate also. So we can say faith alone in Christ alone. We can say that together. We can say not only is there one Lord, we can say that there is one faith in Jesus Christ. And then there is one baptism. Believers are also united through baptism. We witness for ourselves those who decided last week to be baptized in obedience to Christ. 
This is an important step for every single Christian, and there should never be a reason why you as a follower of Christ are not walking in obedience. If Jesus said you're to be baptized, you should be what? Baptized. You shouldn't sit back and try, well, should I really be baptized? Is it necessary? Jesus says that you are to be baptized. But as we saw in the book of Acts, there were disciples of John the Baptist who were baptizing according to what John the Baptist had explained to them. But they had not yet heard of this Jesus Christ. They knew there was one to come, but they were being faithful to what uh, they had been taught. So this was very commendable. But imagine that. Imagine, however, that level of faith that you are baptizing for the repentance of sins uh, with the hope of one to come, but you don't even know about this Jesus Christ in the first place. Some people hear about Jesus Christ and they reject it. And here, they just know there's someone to come uh, in the future and they're baptizing for repentance. What great faith. But in Acts chapter 19, verse 3, says, and he said, into what then were you baptized as John the Baptist's disciples were baptizing? He said, into what, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus Christ. And there it is. So the disciples of John the Baptist, when they heard the truth of Jesus, immediately uh, came under the authority of Jesus Christ. Because they knew within their spirit that their spirit was bearing witness to the truth that Paul was explaining to them. But then there is the being baptized in the spirit, some would say. There's water baptism, but what does it mean to be baptized in the Spirit? Well, it simply means this, without much explanation, that if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you have been baptized in the Spirit. Amen? And then, finally, there is one God and Father of all. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. One God. And Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Here's something I don't want you to miss. That as we have walked through verses 4 through 6, there's something that has emerged in the process. What has emerged in the process has been the Trinity. We had the Lord Jesus Christ. One Lord. We had one Spirit. And now the passage says there is one God and Father of all. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being gradually unveiled to us through this scripture. 
So what God is saying to us about unity, He's saying that He wants us to be unified. Why? Because even the Godhead within itself is unified. God tells us that we should be unified because the Godhead Himself, He is unified. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That there is only one God. And if God, who's all-powerful, can unite Himself within His own oneness, then we ourselves, whose veins course with the blood of Jesus Christ, then us who have one Spirit, who operate as one body, that the one that we call God the Father, uh, our very Father, who our very Spirit's cry out, Abba, Father, that it bears witness to the fact that the Trinity in operation in unity, the body of Christ in operation in unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. <clears throat> Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. There is one God the Father, even one Lord, Jesus Christ, to whom we pay allegiance to. Now again, see it here back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, we have the Spirit Verse 5, we have the Lord Jesus. Verse 6, we have God the Father. What better way to encourage us in unity within the church than by understanding and viewing and seeing uh, the Trinity in action within the body of Christ? Brothers and sisters, we have been called to unity. We have been called to unify within the church of God. This is true not only for us within this church, but it's also true for all churches who name the name of Jesus Christ and follow Him faithfully. So there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. This is a call to either correct your thinking. Uh, God wants us to correct our thinking about this matter or to get the right thoughts into your head or celebrate the unity that we find in the body of Christ. We are unified. And we must talk. We must act. We must live like we are. Let's pray.